What do you know about black history? This is Abby Banks at No Black History. Let's talk race now anchor podcast. Thank you for listening to Great Black History. Now, the story of Hattie McDaniel, first black Oscar winner. She was honored with the 29th Black Heritage Stamp in 2006. I will entitle this show, The Maid Who Played a Maid. Hattie McDaniel was born on June 10, 1893, in Wichita, Kansas. She was the youngest of 13 children. Her father, Henry, was a veteran of the Civil War who served with the 122nd United States Colored Troops. He suffered greatly from war injuries, causing him to struggle his entire life to support his family by doing farm work and manual labor. He was always disappointed because despite hard work and continual pain, he was incapable of supporting his family as he wished. Her mother, Susan, was a domestic worker. After several moves, in 1901, the family landed in Denver, Colorado, where Hattie attended integrated schools. Poverty was an enduring feature of her childhood, causing the children to seek jobs in order to contribute to the household. This highly religious family was active in the church, singing in the choir. But the family had to reckon with religious teachings against accepting income from singing and dancing. While at East River High School, Hattie started professionally singing, dancing, and performing skits in her older brother Otis's troupe, The Mighty Minstrels. In 1909, she decided to drop out of school to more fully focus on her career. Hattie became a performer and songwriter. She honed these songwriting skills while working with her brother's minstrel show. Throughout Hattie's early life, she had to balance earning a living with following her love of stage. This innovative young woman, an entrepreneur for life, started her own business writing, directing, promoting, and performing in local presentations that continually won acclaim with black and white audiences. She organized an all-woman's minstrel show that drew large crowds. Hattie's life included working as a maid in white homes. Even later in her life, when between professional jobs, maid work was an option that paid the bills. In the book Hattie McDaniel by Jill Watts, it is noted that in interviews, Hattie emphasized that she had been proud to take on the hard maid work that a servant's job was an honorable way to make an honest dollar. She always pointed out that she never spent an entire year as a maid, that it was a means to an end, ultimately her career on stage. And what a career it was. From 1920 to 1925, Hattie McDaniel appeared with Professor George Morrison's Melody Hounds, a black touring vaudeville orchestra. In the mid-1920s, she embarked on a radio career on station KOA in Denver. From 1926 to 1929, she recorded many of her songs on O'Kee Records and Paramount Records in Chicago. 
Following her radio performance, McDaniel continued to work the vaudeville circuit and established herself as a blues artist, writing her own work. After the stock market crash in 1929, McDaniel could only find work as a washroom attendant and waitress at Club Madrid in Milwaukee. Despite the owner's reluctance to let her perform, she persisted in telling him that she was an excellent vocalist and eventually was allowed to take the stage. She became a regular performer. Later, she landed a steady job as a vocalist at Sam Pick's Suburban Inn in Milwaukee. In 1931, McDaniel moved to Los Angeles to join her brother Sam and sister Etta, where Hattie found a job as a maid. Sam and Etta got occasional minor jobs in films. Sam was a regular on KNX Radio. He got Hattie a spot there, and before long she was given her own radio show, Hi Hat Hattie, playing a bossy maid who often forgets her place. Her show became popular, but her salary was still so low that she had to continue working as a maid. Also in 1931, McDaniel scored her first small film role as an extra in a Hollywood musical. Then in 1932, she was featured as a housekeeper in The Golden West. McDaniel continued to land parts here and there, but as roles for black actors were hard to come by, she was again forced to take odd jobs to make ends meet. Her second appearance came in a highly successful Mae West film, I'm No Angel, 1933, in which she played one of the black maids with whom West camped it up with backstage. She received several other uncredited film roles in the early 1930s, often singing in choruses. In 1934, McDaniel joined the Screen Actors Guild. She began to attract attention and landed larger film roles, which began to win her screen credits. Fox Film Corporation put her under contract to appear in The Little Colonel, 1935, with Shirley Temple, Bill Bojangles Robinson, and Lionel Barrymore. No doubt, McDaniel was able to catch the eye of major filmmakers when she hired white talent agent William Micklejohn, to represent her and advance her career. With greater popularity, McDaniel was criticized by the NAACP for hiring a white agent and continually playing maid roles. Many in the black community complained that Hollywood stereotypes not only restricted blacks to servant roles, but often portrayed blacks as lazy, dim-witted, satisfied with low positions or violent. They also argued that these portrayals were unfair as well as inaccurate and that coupled with segregation and other forms of discrimination, such stereotypes were making it difficult for all blacks, not only actors, to overcome racism and succeed in the entertainment industry. Some attacked McDaniel as being an Uncle Tom. McDaniel characterized these challenges as class-based biases against domestics, a claim that white colonists seemed to accept. 
And she reportedly said, quote, why should I complain about making $700 a week playing a maid? If I didn't, I'd be making $7 a week being one, end quote. The first film in which McDaniel played a major role was Judge Priest, 1934. It was directed by John Ford and starred Will Rogers, an A-list popular actor of the time. This leading part was a breakout opportunity for Hattie. She demonstrated her singing talent, including a duet with Rogers. McDaniel and Rogers became lifelong friends during filming. The maid roles persisted. In 1935, McDaniel had prominent roles. First, as a slovenly maid in Alice Adams' RKO Pictures, a comic part as Jean Harlow's maid and traveling companion in China Seas, MGM, which was also her first film with Clark Gable, and as the maid Isabella in Murder by Television with Bella Lugosi. Perhaps overlooked are the roles McDaniel played that were not maid-related. She had a featured role as Queenie in the 1936 film Showboat, Universal Pictures, in which she sang a verse of Can't Help Lovin' That Man, along with Paul Robeson. After Showboat, she had major roles in MGM Saratoga, 1937, The Shopworn Angel, 1938, and The Mad Miss Manton, 1938. She had a minor role in the film Nothing Sacred, 1937, in which she played the wife of a shoeshine man masquerading as a sultan. Hattie McDaniel appeared in over 300 films, although she received screen credits for only 80. Her personal friends included some of Hollywood's most popular stars, Joan Crawford, Tallulah Bankhead, Betty Davis, Shirley Temple, Henry Fonda, Ronald Reagan, Olivia de Havilland, and Clark Gable. Gone with the Wind The competition to win the part as Mammy in Gone with the Wind was almost as fierce as that of Scarlett O'Hara. First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt wrote to film producer David Osesnick to ask that her own maid, Elizabeth McDuffie, be given the part. McDaniel did not think she would be chosen because she had earned her reputation as a comic actress. One source claims that Clark Gable recommended that the role be given to McDaniel. In any case, she went to her audition dressed in an authentic maid's uniform and won the part. Upon hearing of the planned film adaptation of Margaret Mead's novel, the NAACP fought hard to require the film's producer and director to delete racial epithets from the movie, in particular, the offensive N-word. Of particular concern was a scene from the novel in which black men attacked Scarlett O'Hara, after which the Ku Klux Klan presented as her saviors. That attack scene was altered and some offensive language was modified, but the word darky remained in the film, as well as the term white trash. History attests to Gone with the Wind being a major success, 
and performances being outstanding. It won eight Academy Awards. It was later named by the American Film Institute as number four among the top 100 American films of all time in the 1998 ranking and number six in the 2007 ranking. But ugliness raised its head. Lowe's Grand Theater on Peachtree Street in Atlanta, Georgia was selected by the studio as the site for the December 15, 1939 premiere of Gone with the Wind. Studio head David Sesnick asked that McDaniel be permitted to attend, but MGM advised him not to because of Georgia's segregation laws. Clark Gable threatened to boycott the Atlanta premiere unless McDaniel was allowed to attend, but McDaniel convinced him to attend anyway. Many of Atlanta's 30,000 citizens crowded the route of the seven-mile motorcade carrying the film's stars and executives. While Jim Crow laws kept McDaniel from the Atlanta premiere, she did attend the film's Hollywood debut on December 28, 1939. Upon Selstick's insistence, her picture was also featured prominently in the program. For her performance as the house slave who repeatedly scolds her owner's daughter, Scarlett O'Hara, and scoffs at Rhett Butler, Daniel won the 1939 Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress, the first Black American to win an Oscar. She was also the first Black American to have been nominated. She told the white press, quote, I loved Mammy. I think I understood her because my own grandmother worked on a plantation not unlike Tara." In 1940, the 12th Academy Awards ceremony took place at the Coconut Grove Restaurant at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. Hattie and her escort were required to sit at a segregated table for two at the far wall of the room. She and her white agent, William Micklejohn, sat together. The hotel had a strict no-blacks policy, but allowed McDaniel in as a favor. One Hollywood columnist wrote this about McDaniel's glorious evening. She wrote, Hattie McDaniel earned that gold Oscar by her fine performance of Mammy in Gone with the Wind. If you had seen her face when she walked up on the platform and took the gold trophy, you would have had the choke in your voice that all of us had. When Hattie, hair trimmed with gardenias, face alight, and dress up to the queen's taste, accepted the honor in one of the finest speeches ever given on the academy floor. Her speech, quote, Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences, fellow members of the motion picture industry and honored guests. This is one of the happiest moments in my life and I want to thank each one of you who had a part in selecting me for one of their awards for your kindness. It has made me feel very, very humble and I shall always hold it as a beacon for anything that I may be able to do in the future. I sincerely hope I shall always be a credit to my race and to the motion picture industry. 
my heart is too full to tell you just how I feel. And may I say, thank you and God bless you, end quote. What else was happening in the life of this lady? What do we know about Hattie McDaniel and her private life? We know that she married four times. First to Howard Hickman in 1911, when she was only 17 and he was 22. Their marriage was a loving bond. Hattie was devastated when Howard died in 1915. In 1922, she married George Langford, but he died of a gunshot wound in 1925. She married James Lloyd Crawford, a real estate salesman in 1941 in Tucson, Arizona. McDaniel happily confided in 1945 that she was pregnant. She began buying baby clothes and set up a nursery in her house, only to learn that she suffered a false pregnancy. She fell into a depression. She never had children. After four and a half years of marriage, she divorced Crawford, accusing him of being jealous of her success and had once threatened to kill her. She married Larry Williams, an interior decorator in 1949 in Yuma, Arizona, but divorced him in 1950 after testifying that their five months together had been marred by arguing and fussing and Williams provoking dissension with the cast of her radio show. Despite a troubled personal life, McDaniel was generous in public service. She made inroads as an advocate for American troops during World War II. She served as chairman of the Negro Division of the Hollywood Victory Committee, providing entertainment for black soldiers stationed at military bases. Since the military was segregated, black entertainers were not allowed to serve on the white entertainment committees. McDaniel worked with other black entertainers and made numerous personal appearances at military hospitals, through parties, and performed at the USO, United Service Organization, shows. Her friend Betty Davis was the only white member of McDaniel's acting troupe to perform for black regiments, along with Lena Horne and Ethel Waters. Like many black patriots, she held war bond rallies to raise funds for the war effort and on behalf of the Victory Committee. McDaniel was a member of the American Women's Voluntary Services. She joined the actor Clarence Muse, one of the first black members of the Screen Actors Guild, in an NBC radio broadcast to raise funds for Red Cross relief programs for Americans that had been displaced by devastating floods, and she gained a reputation of generosity, lending money to friends and strangers alike. She was not a public race activist or political supporter of any party, but McDaniels waged her own war on racism at home. In 1938, Negroes willing and able to pay $1,500 and up for West Adams Heights property had begun moving into the old mansions. This included Hattie McDaniel and Ethel Waters. McDaniel had purchased her white two-story 17-room house in 1942, 
The house included a large living room, dining room, drawing room, den, butler's pantry, kitchen, service porch, library, four bedrooms, and a basement. McDaniel entertained lavishly. She hosted an annual Hollywood party, and everyone knew that the king of Hollywood, Clark Gable, could always be found at McDaniel's parties. But some whites, displeased with black neighbors, tried to enforce the original racial restriction covenant established in 1902 for West Adams Heights that restricted sale of property to non-Caucasians. For seven years they tried to enforce it and they went to court. McDaniel was the most famous of the black homeowners and she helped organize black residents to save their homes. Superior Judge Thurman Clark decided to visit the disputed ground, popularly known as Sugar Hill. What he observed was that the spacious, well-kept West Adams Heights community still had the look of the days when most of Los Angeles aristocracy lived there. Next morning, Judge Clark threw the case out of court. His reason, quote, It is time that members of the Negro race are accorded without reservations or evasions the full rights guaranteed them under the 14th Amendment to the Federal Constitution. Judges have been avoiding the real issue too long, end quote. Hattie McDaniel simply said, quote, Words cannot express my appreciation, end quote. In addition to acting in many films, Hattie McDaniel was a radio performer and television star. She was the first black woman to sing on radio in the United States. She made her last film appearance in Mickey, 1948, and Family Honeymoon, 1949, and that same year, she appeared on the live CBS television program, The Ed Wynn Show. She remained active on radio and television in her final years, becoming the first black American to star in her own radio show with the comedy series Beulah. She also starred in the ABC television version of the show, replacing Ethel Waters after the first season. Beulah was a hit and earned McDaniels $2,000 a week. However, after filming a handful of episodes, McDaniel learned she had breast cancer. By the spring of 1952, she was too ill to work. McDaniel died of breast cancer at the age of 57 in October 1952. She will always be remembered for winning the Academy Award, but of McDaniel also has two stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. In 1975, she was inducted into the Black Filmmakers Hall of Fame. Two corrections. Many of Atlanta's 300,000 citizens crowded the route of the seven-mile motorcade carrying the film stars and executives not 30,000. And in 1938, Negroes willing to pay $15,000 and up, not $1,500 for West Adams Heights property, 
Learn more history by subscribing to No Black History Patreon podcast, where you'll find hundreds of posts, videos, and pictures to launch your Black American history knowledge. This is Addie Banks. Thank you.